Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Marvel's Eternals. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. Joining me on his podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So, Brad, I know you were on the podcast yesterday in a mini water cooler talking about uh, seeing a bunch of things that include... Eternals, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make you talk about this again at length. Actually, we're gonna we're gonna have a whole spoiler discussion. Uh, but for the, those who didn't listen to yesterday's episode, what what was your what is your like concise reaction to this movie? Um, yeah, I liked it for the most part. I don't think that it's um, a perfect movie by any means. It definitely has uh, a decent amount of flaws, but I think I appreciate its ambition more than its shortcomings. Uh, it's it's grand in scope. It's Marvel's most epic movie yet because of it spans thousands of years. It has such a huge ensemble cast and it's really trying to do a lot. Um, but I appreciate that it's venturing out and doing something a little bit different from what you expect from the typical Marvel formula. And so I'm willing to forgive the flaws just because it's um, doing something that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And uh, feels like it's it's different from the rest of Marvel's offerings. And it's actually, I think it's held back a little bit by 
trying to fit into what you expect from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it has a hard time uh, balancing the blockbuster and comedic elements with the emotional um, human core of the movie, which, uh, and as I said yesterday too, it's kind of surprising that, you know, this movie is about these cosmic beings, but it actually has some of like the most authentically uh, authentic humanity that I think we've seen in, in a Marvel movie. It has a lot of uh, genuine emotion in it and the performances uh, really highlight that um, across the board, but um, it's, it's not without um, issues of it being too long. And, uh, like I said, having a hard time balancing those tones and having too many characters that it's hard to focus on the ones uh, that you're supposed to care about. And you, I think you end up caring about some of the supporting characters that aren't uh, front and center throughout most of the movie. Um, so I think that this, this opens up the floor to like a lot of potential to see uh, this world expand. And to, at the very least, if somehow Eternals, you know, isn't successful enough to garner keeping the, it going as a franchise on its own. I think that there's a lot of um, interesting elements and characters introduced here that could easily continue in the MCU, even if Eternals as a, uh, a franchise on its own doesn't uh, manage to do so. Yeah. I, I pretty much have the, the same reaction as you. I I think I enjoy it for them. I enjoy might not be the word. I liked it for the most part. Um, I really appreciate its ambitions and what it was trying to do. And uh, like you said, it's, it's not because it's long. It, it's dense. It's really dense. And it's not like it's not like it could have not been. I, I, many of the reasons I enjoyed the movie or I, I, what I enjoyed about the movie was because of its ambitions and how it's, you know, first of all, introducing this uh, ensemble cast of of new superhero gods to the marvel cinematic universe so it needs to accomplish that not only does it need to accomplish that but it's telling the story over the course of all of humanity <laughs> and intercutting you know flashbacks in with the the real time stuff and uh it's just it has a lot going on in the you know the list of actors involved the list of you know the director involved like everything on paper even if like you kind of told me in broad strokes, like, and I hadn't seen this movie, it would have sounded like it could have been so much better than it is, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, I don't know, something about it, I, I don't know where it goes wrong. Tonally, it's all over the place. And I don't know... I don't know. I, I don't know where, what's the fault of that? Because some of my favorite parts are with Kumil, who brings, you know, a comedy to this movie. It brings some heart to this movie, but like it, his parts feel so like part of a different movie. <laughs> um, and then I don't know. It's it just, it, it's weird. It, it is weird. Uh, and uh, there's a lot that happens <laughs> in this movie that we, we need to talk about. Uh, so so let's just get into it. Let's um we're gonna break this down with the, the twist, the ending, and then the the credit scenes, and then talk about uh, speculate about potential for sequels. Um, I guess let's let's talk about the twist because this this I actually found very interesting when while I was watching the film and when it came 
to this point in the movie, I was like, okay, whoa, this is this is a cool twist to play. I, I did for some reason did not see this coming. And the twist is, of course, that the Eternals have learned that they aren't there to, you know, save humankind. Uh, they were actually created by the Celestials to har- so that the Celestials could har- harvest a uh, population of planets, keeping and help to keep these deviants away. The deviants were created by the Celestials, and they like it was a mistake, and now that they have to keep them at bay because basically Earth is this gigantic uh, seed to grow a new celestial being. It, it's very convoluted, but uh, what did you think of this? this twist in the plot Brad. uh so this wasn't necessarily uh, a twist for me because it was something that i became uh aware of from digging into eternals uh, uh co- comic book history over the years just for stuff that we've been writing about and, and research purposes and things like that so um it, this was not necessarily a surprise to me and uh so i you know it was just something that kind of happened and i was waiting to for for this reveal and plus i uh, the, the other twist, I guess you uh, you could say, um, is something that I actually figured out based on the footage that was in the trailer with um, Icarus and uh, turning out to be uh, a villain and turning against the rest of the Eternals. So, yeah, there weren't any surprises for me in this movie, unfortunately. <laughs> it, it, it didn't necessarily sully the experience, but you know, it, it made it a little bit more straightforward, I guess. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I, I do think it's interesting that like us as human beings on earth, uh, you know, we think that we are the center of it all. And I like the idea that we're just like a seed in, you know, you know, a, a plant to grow the celestial and we're, we're like, we're, we're being used and not only are we being used, but like, we're being used to have these wars, which advance technology in drastic ways uh, so that eventually Earth can have so many people that, that we can give birth to the celestial being. I, I don't know. That, that, that is such, on the, like, such a great idea to explore. I don't think the movie explores it that much, um, especially from like the human point of view because we're not like approaching this from a human point of view. We're approaching this from the point of view of uh, these humanoid uh, robots are they robots? I would, yeah, I would say, I guess they're, I guess, just humanoid is the best way to say it because they're basically just like living computers. Yeah. Um, so this does bring a couple questions. So also during the movie, they they bring up Thanos and the staff, and they actually relayed that Thanos snapping actually saved humanity. Like it, it, it kind of like reset the clock. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it delayed the emergence because there wasn't enough population for uh, for the celestial to be born. Yeah, which is actually kind of interesting because, in a way, that makes what Thanos was doing like the people that were like Thanos was right. He he's more of the good guy, right? But I mean, <laughs> by accident. <laughs> yes, I mean he didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my, my question is if if you have the celestial being sending the Eternals to Earth to facilitate the, the birth of a new celestial and they find out about Thanos in the snap thing, wouldn't they want them to stop Thanos in his plans? Wouldn't I understand why they did not 
interfere with anything else in human history. But that one seems like it would, it's a huge setback, right? Yeah. What what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, there's a chance that they didn't know exactly what his plan was until it was too late, you know, because if they're not around to hear or find out what Thanos is doing, there's no way for them to know that his plan was to snap his fingers and erase half of the universe's population, you know? So they're they're probably assuming whatever he's trying to do, the Avengers will be able to, to stop him. And even, even if they can't, then they, they still, they're, they're basically just following orders as it were, which, you know, is, not necessarily the best defense to stand on, but that's also why it makes their turning against the Celestials that much more significant because they've seen all of this chaos and destruction unfold for thousands of years. And now they're just not willing to, you know, deal with it anymore. It's, it's taken, it's taken a toll on them. I I think you make a good point there. Uh, I do want to bring up this article that we have on slash home. Someone actually asked Chloe Zhao, uh, it was actually cinema, a cinema blend that asked her this. They asked, um, were any of the Eternals whipped away from the snap? And uh, Chloe's answer, I, I mean, I think anybody who, you know, gets to the twist of this movie understands what's going on here. But it says, uh, this is what she says, uh, quote, well, I can't say this out loud, but if you think about it, I think think if you think about what the celestials told them if you think about what what the celestials told them about themselves technically they can't get blipped uh and that makes sense to me but it, most interesting to me here is that like it seems like the chloe is scared that she's unable to say anything about the future of the mcu here with any statements it's, it's almost like marvel like sat her down and was like <laughs> you know uh because we might want to have them blipped or whatever so she, she she's connecting the dots but you know not outright say, saying it which i think is just funny um let, I, I guess okay let's 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 move to the ending uh do you want to recap what happens at the end of this movie brad sure so the Celestials have stopped the emergence um, and uh, there, there won't be the destruction of Earth because they have stopped the Celestial from coming out of the planet, although it did blossom a little bit out of the ground in the middle of the ocean. Uh, and so after they've done that, uh, they decide that they need to tell the rest of the uh, Eternals that are situated around the universe and doing the same thing they are on other planets so that they know what's going on and so that they can be aware uh, that the the situation isn't exactly what they they think it is. So uh, it's Athena, Angelina Jolie, Makari, Lauren Ridloff, and Druig Barry Keoghan who head off in the Domo to spread the word to the other Eternals around the universe. Meanwhile, Cersei, Kingo, and uh, Fastos stay behind. Uh, that's Gemma Chan, Kumail Nanjiani, um, and Brian uh, Tyree Henry. They stay back on Earth, and Sprite is granted mortality with Cersei's newfound ability. So she will no longer be part of the Eternals, and she will get to live out her life and uh, grow up from this kid form that she was was given by the the Celestials. Um, It seems like everything is okay for the time being, but then suddenly Arishem appears right above Earth, 
uh, rather than being somewhere out in the distant universe and communicating with Cersei through that orb in her chest. Um, and he summons Cersei, Kingo, and Fastos to answer for betraying them and will uh, basically is putting them essentially on trial to see if saving Earth was will end up being uh, worth their betrayal. And so uh, we're left with them being taken off of Earth and uh, Dane Whitman is left behind you know, basically like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is something that happened and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing this is going to lead to a sequel where they need to go save them? I would assume so, and especially since one of the uh, credit scenes, which we'll talk about here in a moment, directly references uh, that, that idea as well. Okay, let's uh let's lead into the mid credit scene here. The mid credit scene was, by the way, I want to say, you know, all these Marvel movies do like these mid credit and after credit scene, or most of them do a mid credit and after credit scene. And uh, in recent years, they've been kind of like a fun, like button or something like that, like a fun tease. And I don't think there's been one in a while that has left so many in the audience. I saw this at the world premiere at the Dolby theater and there was, was some excited reactions, but I want to say probably two thirds of the audience were like, who, what, who's that? Like they were just left confused. And I, I don't think I've seen something like that since maybe, maybe like the original Avengers film when Thanos appeared at the end of it. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know who Thanos was at that point, and so there was definitely confusion. But this one, yeah, I think this is probably the most confusing one uh, set of credit scenes yet because it deals introduces several obscure characters that are not, you know, these popular ones from Marvel Comics that people have known for a long time. It really digs into the pages of uh, Marvel history to bring out some new characters. Yeah, and, and uh, I do want to say that being at the world premiere, it's also like a... Uh, it's almost like being at a sporting event where people clap and cheer and it's, it's louder because the people that made the movie are in the room and sometimes you miss some, some jokes and stuff like that. And sometimes you miss some stuff because people are reacting. It's just bigger than like your normal uh, movie uh, screening. And uh, with the post-credit scene, which we'll get to in a few bit, minutes, uh, there's uh, someone that says something, and literally I couldn't hear it. All I could just derive that w- was that it was not a white man saying the thing, and I, 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 I literally said to the person sitting next to me at the premiere, like, "Who was that?" And they were like, "I think it was the Watcher." <laughs> so. So I left the movie being like, the, the, this does not make any sense. So I, I was uh, doubly confused of what was going on. Um, okay, well, let's talk about the mid credit scene first. Um, so this is the one where they're on the ship. and wait, wait, What happens, Brad? You, you wrote a whole th- uh, recap. Of yeah, so the so this scenes. is yeah, so this is we're back on the ship, the Domo, and it's it's Thena and Makari and Druig who are the ones headed off to tell the other Eternals about what they've discovered about the Celestials and their purpose, and um, they haven't heard from Cersei or King or Fastos, and so they're getting ready to potentially head back to Earth to see what's going on, but then suddenly down the hall from the um, I guess you could you know say the the bridge of the ship 
um, there's some something that Makari and Thena sense happening down the hall. And there's like this flash of colors and light that almost looks like what happens when um, Thor, you know, or, or whoever uses the, the rainbow bridge um, or the, the Bifrost to teleport to wherever they're going. Um, and suddenly this like small uh, troll looking creature uh, flies out from the hallway and lands and collects himself and uh, is introducing somebody uh, in the waiting in the wings. Um, he does this whole fake trumpeting thing and says, behold, the Royal Prince of Titan, brother of Thanos, the knave of hearts, defeater of black Robert. And then the voice cracks me. It's like, no, it's, it's Roger. Uh, and he's like the great adventurer, Star Fox. And out comes Harry Styles, uh, the One Direction group member and chart-topping solo act with some flaming red hair and his own Eternal suit. Uh, and he uh, introduces himself um, to the rest of the Eternals, flirts with Thena a little bit, and then tells them that uh, his their friends are in trouble and that the, he thinks that they know where to find them. <laughs> Okay, well, there's a lot to unwrap here, Brad. First of all, I want to say I'm I'm a person who who has read a lot of Marvel comics, probably more than your average human being. Um, you know, I have shelves and shelves of trade paperbacks and graphic novels uh, from Marvel and other companies. Uh, I don't. I maybe have one book with Pip. I don't think I've ever heard of Star Fox before. So w- when uh, Pip comes out and introduces Thanos's brother, I'm like, ooh, Thanos's brother. I didn't even know he had a brother. And then when uh, Harry Styles comes out, I'm like, that's Thanos's brother? <laughs> so, so I didn't know anything about what who Thanos's brother is. Uh, but everybody in the the world premiere audience was just reacting to Harry Styles, and I don't even know who Harry Styles is. Or I mean, I do know who he is, and I'm just not hip, is what I'm saying. So I didn't even recognize who it was, but everybody was going crazy over who it was. And then later, leaving the movie theater and tweeting and spoiling it for everybody, but not me because I didn't even know. Um, and because I and I have manners, anyways. Uh, the so I, I guess the question here is, first of all, isn't Patton Oswalt already voicing a Marvel Cinematic Universe character? Modoc? So, he, so he's not voicing an MCU character. He is voicing a Marvel character. Uh, Hulu has a stop motion animated comedy series that stars Modoc. It is very much outside of the framework of the MCU. It's, um, it's basically like a sitcom with sci-fi comic book elements. It's a, a raunchy comedy and there's no way it has any connection to the Marvel cinematic universe whatsoever. It's a Marvel television production. So that is completely separate from this. So Pat nozzle is definitely allowed to play uh, Pip, the troll, which is that the character that comes and introduces star Fox um, and star Fox introduces himself uh, by his uh, real name, I guess, which is Eros. Um, you know, since he's the brother of Thanos, he has to have a cool name like that. <laughs> okay, so I guess a lot of people out there are probably like me and wondering, who is Pip the Troll, Brad? Uh, so in Marvel Comics, he's a character who was uh, exiled from his kingdom and caught in the middle of a conflict between uh, Adam Warlock, a character that we'll see um, played soon uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, and his evil double, Magus. 
And so he becomes friends with Adam Warlock, who will be played by Will Poulter in the Guardians of the Galaxy sequel. Uh, he's been involved as a, like a supporting character in a lot of universal conflicts, uh, was a part of Thanos' quest to find the Infinity Stones. Um, and at one point, he even gains possession of the, the Space Stone. So uh, he's uh, definitely a lower tier Marvel character. He has the ability to teleport himself um, across vast distances. And apparently he can locate anyone no matter where they are, which is something that came from him harnessing the power of the, uh, the Space Stone. And I guess he has uh, a decent amount of strength as well. Um, there's no guarantee that those details will come through uh, in this iteration of the character, because it, actually, if you look at the history of a lot of the, character, uh, the, the characters that are introduced in these credit scenes, um, they don't necessarily fit in very easily with the history that's been established in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think that they'll likely be taking a lot of liberties with how these characters fit in overall in the MCU. What you did mention kind of... Uh a side connection with guardians of the galaxy here is there it, it seems reasonable to me that maybe pip the troll might be in guardians of the galaxy volume three it's certainly possible um it depends it on seems like james gunn casting right like it seems like i don't know I, chloe zhao I, I i guess uh she pitched it with i don't know it, it just it seems like such a weird choice is it a weird choice <laughs> I mean, when you're dealing with a character like Pip the Troll, um, you know, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, Patton Oswalt has a great voice for doing a character like that, yeah. and he's such a huge comic book nerd. It kind of just just fits, you know. It's it's the it's one of the best things for him to do because he has such a unique uh, voice. But they they even manipulated a bit actually because they make it that so that's a little bit deeper in tone. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if he has something to do in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, especially since Adam Warlock is supposed to be in that movie. But it kind of depends how James Gunn intends to use Adam Warlock and whether or not it makes sense for for Pip to be, you know, um, involved with the conflict between them and presumably the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. By the way, I I was mixing up in my mind. uh, The weird choice is not... uh... Patton Oswalt as Pip the Troll. The weird choice in my mind was Harry Styles as Star Fox. Because well, Yeah, I mean it's so he's obviously been wanting to do more acting. You know, he was in uh, Dunkirk and yeah. he's clearly trying to make a name for himself as an actor, but um Star Fox is supposed to be this character who is very much um a, a flirt and very charming and has no problem uh convincing women to fall for him. So bringing in somebody like Harry Styles to play that character, especially an obscure one that probably needs to convince a wider uh, general audience to be interested in this character, casting somebody with that kind of broad pop culture and sex appeal makes perfect sense for a character like Star Fox. Okay, so we got to assume that both of these characters are probably going to be part of the eventual uh, sequel. Uh, which we'll get to in a second, but let, let's first get to the post credit scene. And this is the scene that takes place at the end of the credits. Uh, this is... Um, out, okay, w- w- what is what is the scene here, Brad? So uh, this is a post credit scene that uh, takes place in Dane Whitman's uh, university office. Um, at the very end of Eternals, when uh, Dane Whitman is talking with Cersei... Uh, he's about to reveal that he's discovered some kind of family secret of his own. Uh, and before we get that reveal, that's when Arishem shows up and takes away Cersei and Kingo and Fastos. 
so we don't get to find that out until we get a tease of it in this post credit scene. And uh, what's lying on uh, Dane Whitman's desk is this large, ornate uh, case that has a sword in it. And if you paid attention during uh, the Eternals um, earlier in the movie, you may have heard reference to a sword known as the Ebony Blade uh, when the characters were reunited in the Domo and uh, they were messing around with a lot of the artifacts that Makari had collected in the ship uh, over the years. And uh, one of them asked whether they're wielding the Ebony Blade and it's like, no, you know, it's, it's Excalibur. And so the Ebony Blade uh, is a weapon wielded by Black Knight, a Marvel Comics character. And the sword has origins um, back to Arthurian times, uh, wielded by Sir Percy and created by the wizard Merlin, spelled with a Y in Marvel Comics. Uh, And this sword gets passed down to Dane Whitman because he's a descendant of Sir Percy. And so it seems that he has found the, the history of his family and now has come into possession of the sword and he's psychs himself up to to basically pick it up to touch it he's very nervous about it and there's this these ominous ominous sound that's coming from the blade almost as if it's alive and when you get a close-up shot of the blade there's like these it seems what appear to be particles on the blade or something that makes it look like it's moving and as Dane Whitman moves his hand towards it, the the movement on the blade gets more intense, almost like it wants to be picked up. Um, and you hear Dane Whitman say in a, a different language, I'm, I'm presuming it's it's probably Latin or something like that, uh, death is my reward. Uh, but before he can actually touch the sword, there's suddenly a voice that you hear off camera. Uh, you, don't, you don't see who says it, but it says, uh, sure, you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman. And that's when the scene cuts to black. And so as we've learned and had confirmed uh, since the scene debuted, that voice belongs to none other than Mahershala Ali as Blade, who will be introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, in the next couple of years or so. When you saw the scene, did you know that who it was? I did not. I Like you, I could tell that it was a, a voice that was coming from a, a black actor. I didn't think of Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher, but when I think back on the voice, I could understand why people would think that, especially based on like him essentially giving a warning. And since the watcher did recently just come off of interfering in the multiverse shenanigans of what if that kind of, kind of makes sense. Uh, Part of me thought that it could have been Jonathan majors as one of the variants of King the conqueror, but I didn't necessarily know how to figure out how that made sense narratively. But now that we know that it's blade um, that, you know, since that character is more on the, um, I guess you could say mystical, magical, fantastical side of the the Marvel Comics um, character roster. That him having some knowledge of the Black Knight sword and and that kind of thing makes a little bit more sense. It it seems weird that the Blade story is going to mix up with like the Eternal story, doesn't it? Like it, I don't know. I, it, it seems like two different parts of the Marvel Cinematic Unit or the Marvel Universe to me. In some ways, I would agree. I'm not necessarily sure how much Blade will get involved with the cosmic stuff, but I think that the stuff involving Black Knight, since it has a history that goes back to medieval times, makes sense since vampires live for hundreds, thousands of years. And so Blade presumably has some kind of experience with this this weapon. Perhaps, you know, uh, it was, you know, uh, encountered vampires before, something like that. Um, so I think that it makes a little bit more sense uh, when you think about it like that. And it just so happens that Black Knight 
is also tied into, you know, eternal stuff. So I think it's more of like just a link, you know, between a third party than Blade being part of all the, the space stuff. Yeah. I will say that this reveal is so badly done in my opinion, because if it leads to that much confusion that like people like you and I who have a, you know, knew know more about what's going on in the Marvel cinematic universe than, than most people do cannot like immediately be like, that's blade. How is the general audience even going to interpret this without like having to come to slash film.com and, read the article or go to Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair criticism, but I also think that the, the more important part of this, the scene um, is setting up Dane Whitman to do something in this, in the sequel. Yeah. I think the blade thing is just, uh, you know, a bonus and that it's something that will pay off later, you know, once they, you know, either do the eternal sequel or I'm sure blade is going to get off the ground first. And that'll probably be something that is made clear in, in that movie. So, you know, so you think you think this is set up not for Eternals too, but uh, set up for Black Knight? Or I mean, for uh, Blade. Well, I mean, I I think both. I, I mean, I think that there's it's probably a lot more set up for Eternals too than than anything. But it's but it still gives us a, a nice tease of an introduction to Blade coming into the MCU. And it's I think for me these credit scenes don't necessarily need to completely and obviously lay out like what this means or like how significant it is, or even like explain the details of who these characters are, because they're going to find out eventually anyway. And at this point it, it's kind of become part of uh, the culture of the Marvel cinematic universe for people to go online and look up as much as they can about new characters and like what certain things mean that they don't understand. So I think that it's, even though it's not clear, even for some of the more, you know, seasoned and educated uh, Marvel fans, it's something that does exactly what it's supposed to do, which is tease something that's that will be revealed even more uh, clearly eventually. Okay, so I guess the question is, uh, who is the Black Knight? Do you know anything about Black Knight and the yeah, Ebony so, Blade? Yeah, so, I mean, Black Knight is this character who basically has... Um, he, he wields the, the Ebony Blade, and the Blade itself, uh, it gives... The, whoever wields it powers. Um, it can cut through any object. It can prevent the death of whoever wields it, and it deflects magic. But the sword also comes with a curse. The ebony blade slowly corrupts uh, the person who wields it, and it gives them a lust for violence, bloodshed, and death. So it kind of creates this anti-hero uh, or a character that who can be heroic, but will eventually likely take a dark turn, uh, which is why it can only be wielded by the impure of heart. Um, it's, it's not that the blade itself uh, necessarily is uh, bad, but it um, brings out the repressed rage, bloodlust, and psychosis that lies within within people. So it's possible that Dane Whitman, you know, could be uh, taking a dark turn sometime uh, into into the future. And I wouldn't be surprised if him fighting back against you know the Ebony Blade's pull into madness ends up being a, a significant part of that character. Um, and like, like I said, you know, as with like with Pip and uh, Star Fox, there's not like an, e- an easy way to incorporate him into the, the current history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe besides, you know, um, establishing the Ebony Blade as this old weapon and that Dane Whitman can use it to make himself powerful enough to potentially seek out uh, Arishem and save Cersei and uh, the rest of the captured Eternals. But uh, beyond that, all we know is that this is something that's, 
going to happen that Dane Whitman will, <laughs> you know, wield the ebony blade and yeah. become Black Knight. And it's and it's not he's not the Black Knight. There are several iterations of Black Knights whoever wields the ebony blade. So Yeah, that makes sense. Um so Eternals 2. Well, let's talk about Eternals 1 uh made 71 million dollars domestically and then worldwide it did like 161.7 million globally which in these times relatively speaking is is considered pretty positive i mean to give you some comparison of the four best opening weekends of the pandemic era to date uh venom let there be carnage did 90 million black widow did 80 million uh shang chi did 75.4 million so this did slightly below shang chi um, it, it makes it the the fourth highest grossing of, of of this time. Uh, that that is still considered enough. That that I think, I mean, there's no way that they're not going to do a sequel to Eternals. I feel like they've they've invested too much into this to not uh, do a follow up. So the question is, what what is the sequel? So the sequel is to to save the Eternals. I would think so. Um, yeah, I would. I would imagine that it's the uh, the idea of getting back Cersei and um, Kingo and Fastos after Arishem picked them up from Earth. Yeah, there's so many names, Brad. There's there, like, there are there are. Yeah, um, we do know that Salma Hayek has said that she's signed on for multiple Marvel movies. So, I mean, that that's no surprise. Whenever you sign a Marvel contract, usually you're signing on for multiple Marvel movies. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you think Marvel is going to be excited to rush to, to make a sequel? Usually, usually you see a sequel to like a movie like this happen like two to three years after the first one. Do you think that's going to happen or do you think the mixed reaction – that this film has gotten from uh, both critics and fans will make them, you know, take a pause before they dip their toes back into the Eternals. It's a good question. Um, Marvel always has a grand plan that is usually at, at least vaguely plotted out several years in advance. You know, we already know about uh, the movies that are coming out next year and uh, a little bit into 2023. And Kevin Feige and the rest of the Marvel execs usually have some kind of like uh, drawing board where they know where they want to take characters and what what is in store for the next phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, but it, but it's kind of like one of those drawing boards of like a TV showroom where it's like here's where we want to go. Yeah, and there's, and there's, there's, it, pl- there's plenty of room for improvisation and flexibility if something doesn't work quite right, or if somebody comes up with a suddenly great idea or something like that. Um, yeah, it, things get and, changed a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that there might be some recalibration as to like how to maybe give an eternal sequel a little bit more uh, focus. Maybe you know reduce the size of the cast a little bit, or maybe um, figure out how to maybe spread out certain storylines into other parts of the MCU so that maybe Eternals characters appear in other movies as opposed to having just be an Eternals franchise. Um, Cause there's enough characters that you can easily do that. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It's, you know, Eternals, even though everyone is talking about it as if it's not is a success still, it's not one of Marvel's best yeah. movies, but it's far from a bomb. So I, I think that 
it's safe to say we'll we'll see an eternal sequel but as um I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some talk behind the scenes it's figuring out like the best way to approach it and maybe learn from some of the the mistakes of this first one do you think when the eternals 2 comes out do you think chloe zhao is going to be the director that's a good question too. I, I think that they probably like what Chloe Zhao did, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got somebody who maybe um, has an easier time uh, balancing like yeah. the the stuff you come to expect from Marvel movies with uh, their their own filmmaking style. I think Chloe Zhao, I think, did some really interesting things with this, but I think as we've seen from Marvel previously. It's not that they want filmmakers who don't have like an auteur's eye or a sense of style or originality, but they probably want a filmmaker who can maybe more easily fit into what has already been, you know, established by the, you know, 25 movies that are already out there. Yeah, I, I think your answer gives a, a clue to what, why I asked that question. I, I think when you watch this movie, with any when anybody watches this movie, it doesn't seem like what chloe was trying to do and what marvel were trying to do were the same thing and it, it does seem like a movie that's of two different uh approaches that were kind of like somehow jammed together um and I, I, that said that's not to say that uh not to be a bad thing for chloe, chloe or even marvel I, I i think like you said in your brief reaction some of the things in this movie are some of the most more interesting things that Marvel has done in any of their movies. Yeah. And who's the credit to that? I don't know. It's probably Chloe. I'm guessing because there's some interesting stuff there uh, that is just very different than any other Marvel movie. But I don't know. Like, I feel like if I'm Kevin Feige and I'm that guy like with the, you know, the, the golden touch, you know, anything you touch turns to gold. And then this film comes out that has, this has been kind of like the first, film in the marvel cinematic universe i know there's been other films that people uh that didn't do that well uh uh critically like you know thor the dark world or iron man 2. i think iron man 2 actually was well reviewed am i wrong that i think at the time it was well reviewed i could be okay. wrong let's Fair let's enough. see man 2 we're, we're gonna look this up live we're doing this live brad uh it might be different now Yes, it's a positive. It's certified fresh, 72%. So so not necessarily on the higher end of great, but still, yeah. Okay. But still certified fresh for, I mean, I, I honestly think Iron Man 2 is the worst film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, what would you say, Thor 2? Yeah, I, I would say probably, yeah. It's a, it's a toss-up between Thor The Dark World and um, and Iron Man 2. Although Incredible Hulk's not that great either, so. Yeah. But uh, by pure numbers alone, like the you know the the critic ratings at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience ratings at all the different sites, the uh, box office, which I know is hard to quantify in these strange times, it, it does. Like if I was Kevin Feige, I'm not sure if I'm like, oh yeah, let's just do another one of these with the same people, and you know everything's great. It's going to turn out well. <laughs> I feel like uh, you have to. You know, sit down at the in the uh, the writers' room and be like, you know, what what did why didn't it? Why did fe people feel like it didn't work? And what were we proud of? And then go go ahead into a eternal sequel that way. So I'm I'm, I'm very curious what the result of that is because, um, you know, the result could be a homogenized Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, 
or it could be like a, a very Chloe Zhao, like a, a very artistic kind of sequel. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see which, which it is. <laughs> so, um, okay. Anyways, that does it. We've definitely gone over the time limit for this episode. If you want to see more of all of our work, you can go to slash I've, ton of links in the show notes to articles that brad wrote uh, joshua did a spoiler review for us uh chris goes into some of the other voices that you may have heard in this movie that you didn't know were in it and uh there's a bunch of explainers on all the characters and much more so look in the show notes and, and go read those because they're very well written uh you can subscribe to slash home daily on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter and please rate and read this podcast and apple podcast tell your friends spread the word we'll see you tomorrow <laughs>